This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq. Min sharri ma khalaq. ومن شر غاسق إذا وقب ومن شر النفاثات في العقد ومن شر حاسد إذا حسد رب الشح صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي والحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته We're going to be engaged in a study of Surat Al-Falaq today and I hope to finish the study Last week in Irving we finished the study of Surat Al-Ikhlas and uh, the first item on the agenda today even though I won't cover it comprehensively yet it's something that I'll cover later on today is the relationship between Surat Al-Ikhlas and Surah Al-Falaq, they're placed right after one another. And of course, we're at the very end of the Mus'haf now. And everybody knows the relationship between Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. That's even clear from many a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. He would even combine them in prayer, one rak'ah for Falaq, the other for Nas. The famous name Al-Mu'awwidhatayn, uh, sometimes mispronounced Al-Mu'awwidhatayn, it's Mu'awwidhatayn, the, the name given to the two surahs together, this name was given by the Prophet himself. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Plus even if you don't know Arabic When you recite قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ You can tell the, the, the similarities between the two But that similarity will be the focus of our study Full-fledged next week inshaAllah ta'ala Today I at least want to bring to your attention The relationship between Surah Al-Ikhlas And Surah Al-Falaq And their placement right next to each other And in that regard there are two things that need to be noted The first of them And, and both of those relationships come from two words in the first ayah the first word is the word qul, and we'll look at its benefits, and what connects this to the previous surah. And the second is the word rabbul falaq, qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq. Specifically the word falaq, and it's, it's uh, rhetorical, it's literary marvel, and it's uh, strategic placement right after the discussion that Allah Azza wa Jal declares in Surah Al-Ikhlas. So we'll have more about that inshallah ta'ala when we get into the first ayah and we'll see how the two things are tied together. The second thing we want to talk about before we uh, go further is that these two surahs have been paired classically in tafsir. They've been talked about always hand in hand. And so in order to understand both of these surahs, falaq and nas, even though nas inshallah is the subject of next week, there are two things we must understand, two terms that are used in tafsir studies in regards to these surahs that I'll introduce you to. Who are you seeking refuge from? And whose protection, whose refuge are you seeking? There are two questions to be asked. Whose protection are you seeking? And what is it that you're seeking protection from? Now, the one whose protection you are seeking, the Arabic term for that, the Mufassirun will use, is Al-Musta'adhu Bihi. Al-Musta'adh Bihi means the one whose protection you are seeking, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Falaq, Rabbul Nas, Ilahin Nas, Malikin Nas, He is Al-Musta'adh Bihi. Now, the one you're seeking protection from, the one you're trying to escape from, is Al-Musta'adh Minhu. So there are two terms now, Al-Musta'adh Bihi and Al-Musta'adh Minhu. Both of these surahs have mention of Al-Musta'adh Bihi 
and both of them have mention of al-musta'ad minhu. They have both. There is mention of Allah Azza wa Jal, whose refuge we are seeking, and then there is mention of the entities, the things that we are seeking refuge from. Now, there's an interesting correlation. Even though the al-musta'ad bihi is the same one, it's Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Falaq. It's Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Nas. But al-musta'ad minhu, the one you're seeking refuge from, is different. The one in Falaq is different, and the one in Nas is different. But there, from a, from a literary point of view, something else that's very subtle. In Surah Al-Falaq, Allah mentions about Himself only one description. And that's it. And then there are, there's several discussions, one after another, about al-musta'ad minhu. Meaning, what are we seeking refuge from? Min sharri ma khalaq, number one. Wa min sharri ghasiqin idha waqab, number two. Wa min sharri nafathati fil uqad. Right? And then, min sharri hasidin idha hasad. So four things that we're seeking refuge from. Now turn to the other surah, what do you find? Instead of one description of Allah, al-musta'ad bihi, what do you find? Qul a'udhu bi rabbin nas, malikin nas, ilahin nas. But then the one you're seeking refuge from is just one, al-waswas al-khannas. And the rest is a description of al-waswas al-khannas. They're not separate problems, it's just a description of one problem. So one surah highlights al-musta'ad bihi, which is surah al-nas. It highlights the one you are seeking protection of, Allah. The other highlights the things you're seeking protection from, but doesn't highlight as much of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's a staunch difference between the two. At least this difference, we'll, we'll look at some commentary that's been made about the difference between these two things and get some benefit from them before we get into the historical context of the revelation of both surahs. By the way, both of them were revealed at the same time. There's no difference in opinion about that. They were both revealed simultaneously to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa So, Surah Al-Falaq. فِيمَا يَقَعُوا عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ مِنَ الْمَكَّارَةِ وَلَيْسَ مِنْ عَمَلِ يَدْهِ لِأَنَّ كُلَّ مَا ذَكَرَهُ لَيْسَ مِنْ عَمَلِ الْإِنسَانِ This is a very important comment. The Mufassir is saying here, this is by the way the commentary of Dr. Fadl Salih Hassan al-Ra'i, his famous TV show, Lamasad Bayaniya, he says, Surah Al-Falaq deals with problems that afflict a human being which are not the product of his own work. In other words, he has no control over them. The evil of other things that Allah created. مِن a reference to the night, the, the dangers and the evils in the night. The reference to those who, who engage in sorcery and magic against someone. These are things out of your control. Someone who's jealous against you and does something out of jealousy against you. None of these things are under your control. Now, in contrast to this, and he goes up further on to say, by the way, لا يملك منها شيئاً أَمَّا فِي النَّاسِ فَهِيَ and, and as, as far as Surah Al-Nas is concerned فَهِيَ مِنْ عَمَلِ الْإِنسَانِ Surah Al-Nas deals with the actions of the human being. What are we seeking refuge from in Surah Al-Nas? Waswasa. And when waswasa is done inside you, what do you do? You, do an, you engage in an evil act. But the evil act, is that something you yourself have to answer Allah for? Are you muhasab for it? Are you going to be audited for it and accountable for it? Or you can just say, no, it was waswasa of shaitan, I'm not responsible. That's not the case. In other words, what we're seeking Allah's refuge for in, from in Surah An-Nas is something that we will have to answer for if we mess up. But in Surah Al-Falaq, the afflictions that, were, that are coming upon us are beyond our control and the only one who can help is Allah Azza wa Jal. We're victimized by them. Now, this helps us understand there is more desperation in Surah An-Nas than there is in Surah Al-Falaq. There's more desperation. You're calling on Allah Azza wa Jal over and over and over again. 
Why? Because if you fall, if you fall victim to that waswasa, what are you going to end up doing? Damaging your iman. Another way this has been looked at, and I'll just read it directly from his commentary: فَالْأُولَى فِي شَرِّ الْمَصَائِبِ وَالثَّانِيَ فِي شَرِّ الْمَعَايِبِ the first deals with the evil of afflictions that will come upon you that are out of your control. And the second, about faults that you yourself may have, that you are answerable for. So the second one, it requires more of a seeking of refuge. So when we say, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ مَلِكِ النَّاسِ إِلَهِ النَّاسِ You know what that is? That is al-badal in Arabic. In other words, you're saying three things. You're saying, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِمَلِكِ النَّاسِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِإِلَهِ النَّاسِ It's like saying those three things again. It's like that قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِ is in parentheses and these three things are inside those parentheses and they apply to each of them. So you are far more desperate in losing your iman because of the waswasa of shaitan. You're, that's a far bigger danger than the danger of that is presented, even though it's a, it's a valid danger. The, the danger of the evil of the night, the evil in the things Allah created, the evil of the sorcerer, the evil of the one who is jealous against you. These are valid evils, but nothing compared to the greater danger of the waswasa of shaitan. So Allah has shown a sharp contrast between the two by mentioning himself far more in Surah Al-Nas than in Surah Al-Falaq. Then in, within this surah itself, just from a literary point of view, فَقَدْ رَتَّبَهَا تَرْتِيبًا بَيَانِيًا He's got this remarkable, eloquent sequencing inside this surah. And the, the gist of it is, وَانْتَقَلَ فِيهَا مِنَ الْعَامِ إِلَى الْخَاسِ So he transitions in this surah from the general, from the broad, from the widely scoped, to the more narrow and more and more specific. Let's see how. The first evil mentioned, مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقْ from the evil of what he created. That's all creation. Any creation that has e any evil tendency, that's the most widest scope. Then he gets a little more narrow. وَمِنْ شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَقَبٍ This is the evil that may take place in the night. That's a little more limited in scope. Then even more limited in, so in scope, وَمِنْ شَرِّ النَّفَاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ النَّفَاثَاتِ By the way, we'll get into more detail about them, but those who blow on knots, and they do this kind of sorcery and spell casting and things like that. Of course, this is a very particular group of people. But it's mentioned in the plural. And what's less than plural? Singular. The final, وَمِنْ شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدٍ It goes from many to less to less to the least. From the evil of anyone that may engage in jealousy, especially when he acts out his or her jealousy. So there's this transition from the specific, or the general to the specific in this remarkable surah. Now, we talked about the musta'ad bihi and musta'ad minhu. It's time now to talk a little bit about the historical context. The vast majority of mufassirun consider these surahs madani. There is a minority that considers them makki. And a similar issue came up before and I mentioned it to you before. But the reason the vast majority consider these surahs madani is because of the narrations that surround these surahs. After Hudaybiyah, this is most mufassirun comment about 6th or 7th year after Hijrah that these surahs came down. So after Hudaybiyah, the Meccans are not the biggest obstacle anymore. And even before Hudaybiyah, there have been some clashes against the Jewish community in Medina. And they have been pretty much been exiled and now they're camped out in Khaybar. And some of the Jewish tribes in Medina have also moved out and reinforced the encampment of the Jewish community in Khaybar. They got, a, they got wind of Hudaybiyah and realized now that his attention is not going to be on them, وسلم, his full attention will be on the next biggest problem, this community who has shown great animosity in the time, in the Madani era of the Prophet's life. So they came, they started making all kinds of strategies on how to counteract 
and how to engage in offense against the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. There's a man by the name of Labid bin Asim. Labid bin Asim. He is a member of a tribe called Banu Zuraiq. And he is considered, some say he's from the Nasara, some say he's from the Yahud, but the, the, the majority say that he actually claimed that he accepted Islam. But it's pretty much unanimously understood that he never really accepted Islam. At best, he was considered one of the Munafiqun. The people from Khaybar come, and they come to uh, Labid ibn Asim, and they say, look, we've tried everything we can against Muhammad, وسلم. we've even tried magic, but our magic isn't strong enough. You're the best magician we know. Do something that will tear him apart. Do something that will dismantle him. So they come soliciting his help. In some narrations of the Mufassirun, we learn that he also solicited the help of his daughters. His daughters were also good at magic. I guess they were in his apprenticeship. So he also solicited their help in trying to come up with this kind of sorcery. Now, he does so by... So he actually uh, pays one of the servants of the Messenger of Allah, a boy, a Jewish boy who is to serve the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and he steals a comb from the Messenger and takes a couple of pins out of the comb and the hair of the Messenger وسلم, is still stuck on the pins. You know how your hair can get stuck on the pin of a comb? So he takes those pins to the sorcerer and he starts making this kind of special sorcery and ties knots around it and does this spell casting that they do and make a doll and stick needles in it and all, all this kind of thing. And then they take whatever this, this device, this contraption that they had made because of their magic, they took it into a well called Dhu Arwan. There's a famous well in Medina and they put it on the, in the bottom of that well underneath a rock, they hid it. Now what effect did that magic spell have on the Prophet ﷺ is the question to be asked. We don't have many narrations in regard to this, we have very few. One, we know that the Messenger ﷺ was physically being agitated from within. He was feeling pressure, he was feeling perturbed and disturbed, he was losing sleep. Some narrations say that he would, uh, he would think that he did something, uh, forgetting that he actually hasn't done it yet or that he would think that he didn't do something, well actually he had already done so. So his memory was being affected and he was being affected internally but the Sahaba didn't see it. So this was something happening on the inside of the Messenger this, uh, you know, this kind of pressure he was feeling and disturbance he was feeling. And you have to understand this is kind of like a physical kind of thing. You know, uh, nowadays you, you can think of physiological things like high blood pressure, you know, or you get somebody getting the chills and physical ailments like diseases. And you have to understand these these kinds of things, this kind of magic, the, the ulama I spoke to that deal with people that have been cast spells upon say that the victims of this kind of thing feel a heavy burden on themselves. And they feel themselves being squeezed from the inside. Kind of like high blood pressure if you will. But there are physical ailments involved in this kind of spell casting. And this is what the Messenger was feeling and suffering from. Then we find several narrations, but, but the most clear of which is the one narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha occurs in Al-Bukhari. The Messenger essentially tells Aisha that I asked Allah a question and He finally answered me. And He has answered me. And so she asked, what did you ask and what did He answer? So He tells her. He tells her that He was suffering from this magic and He went to sleep one night and Allah sent two angels in the form of human beings. So the Messenger is asleep and in his dream he sees two angels in the form of human beings come and they're talking to each other. And one of them says, what has happened to him? And the other says, um, uh, you know, a spell has been cast on him. Sorcery has been done to him. And the other one says, who did it? 
And he says, Lubayd ibn Asim did it. So that the, in, this, in this dream, these angels by means of wahi are telling the Messenger ﷺ a complete prognosis, a complete detailed analysis of what exactly is wrong. So what did he, how did he do this magic? There's this device he put, he took the hairs from the comb and he tied it up and they blew on it and they put it underneath this, banu, you know, th this well. Lu Arwan, it's at the bottom, and the messenger knew where that well was. So what should he do to protect himself? And so in this narration, they recited, these angels recited Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. How many ayat altogether in these surahs? 11 ayat. If you combine the two together, altogether you get 11 ayat. How many knots were tied? 11 knots. And this knotting that was tied, this part of their spell casting that, that they did, whatever kind of black magic it was, 11 knots were tied. So the Messenger instructs his companions to retrieve the item that's placed under the rock. He goes there himself, he looks at the knotted device, he, t he unties a knot, and he re recites an ayah and unties a knot. Recites the next ayah, unties another knot. Recites the next ayah, unties another knot. With every, 11 ayat altogether, 11 knots altogether. And at the end of it, he, he describes himself as being relieved, and be, an ailment being removed, or him coming out of darkness into light. Subhanallah. So this was the historical context because of which many, many, many mufassirun say that the, this surah and the one after it are both madani and they're revealed at the same time because of this narration. But others say that no, just because of that narration you cannot say that this is madani. It's actually that this, the angels reminded the messenger وسلم, to recite these surahs at that occasion. So the surahs were already there. But they were now be, the messenger was now being taught that these surahs can be used as cure for this problem. So just because the narration is there doesn't necessitate that the surahs were revealed at the time. It may even be that the surahs were already there, but now the messenger is being taught that they can serve as a remedy for this particular problem. Okay? So this is something of a, a disagreement among the scholars and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Now there's an, a peculiar uh, opinion of Ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu that should be mentioned, and it's, it's become quite famous in, in books of Ulum al-Qur'an and things like that, this opinion is, is highlighted. In his opinion, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas actually do not belong to the Qur'an. He doesn't say that they're not the words of Allah, he says they are Kalamullah. But they were specifically revealed as remedies for this particular problem, and they do not belong in the Mus'haf itself. His, his belief is that the Mus'haf ends at Surah Al-Ikhlas. By the way, this is not the opinion of the majority. By, nobody else has that opinion except he himself. And we know to respectfully disagree with the Sahaba. And how, the first question is, how could he have that, such an opinion to begin with? There are several reasons. Not every Sahabi is exposed to every incident in the life of the Prophet That's one. Not every Sahabi is exposed to every incident. We have before us bodies of literature of virtually every incident that happens in the Prophet's life But the Sahaba don't have a hadith class where they learn there was this occasion or that occasion or that occasion. They have certain interaction with the Messenger of Allah That's part of their life experience. And there are other interactions and other experiences with other Sahaba that are not part of their life and they're not part of their knowledge. So because they have that opinion, first of all, we don't know even if he later on, it's very possible that he retracted his opinion. Also, we can say that because the ijma' was made on the Mus'haf in the time of Abu Bakr Siddiq, and he is, you know, and, and even before then, he's part of that ijma'. Second of all, we have several sahih narrations in which the Messenger of Allah is reciting falaq al-nas in the salah. 
He's reciting them in the prayer. And nothing after Fatiha, nothing but Qur'an is recited in the salah. So that in and of itself constitutes enough of an evidence. Not to mention the overwhelming majority's opinion and the pretty much unanimous consensus of the Sahaba. But it's important to mention these sorts of things so when you come across them on your own, you don't get confused. Oh my God, there's a difference about whether this is part of Qur'an or not. It's really not a difference. And you know, this actually proves that the Sahaba radiallahu anhu in the end are human beings. The, the final word is revelation. And the Sahaba will make judgments to the best of their knowledge. And when they come to a consensus, it is rock solid. Because they cannot gather on something that is misguided. But is it possible that a Sahabi, any Sahabi, may have an opinion that the majority don't take? Happened all the time. That actually happened all the time. There are several opinions, even of the most respected Mufassir of Qur'an, Ibn Abbas ta'ala He has certain opinions that the Ijma' never took. He had a particular opinion about Alif Lam Mim and what it meant. Nobody ever took it. We, the majority says pretty much can, unanimously that this is from the Mutashabihat. We don't make that wheel of those words. So there are, there are cases like that in the lives of the Sahaba. This doesn't diminish their dignity in any way, but it's part of being intellectually honest. We have to be intellectually honest and understand these things, especially in our time when there are ever, there's no stone unturned by non-Muslims to pull out our own narration, narrations, look at our own sources and quote them to us and put us in doubt. So we should know our stuff before they tell us about our stuff. Is, is really what I'm trying to get across. So now let's get to the first ayah inshallah ta'ala and uh, pick up that subject that I only introduced briefly but didn't really get into the relationship between Surah Al-Ikhlas and Surah Al-Falaq. We say, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقْ The first word I'll get your attention on, the last word I'll get your attention on is قُلْ That leads a little bit of discussion. But we'll start with أَعُوذُ for now. The word is عَاذَ يَعُوذُ It comes from several, you know, in, in sarf, in morphology, you can give it several forms. You can say أَعَاذَ يُعِيذُ You can say عَوَّذَ يُعَوِّذُ تعويذ. You can say ista'adha, yasta'idhu, isti'adha. There are several forms used in the Qur'an. For example, فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ In Surah Al-Imran, Maryam salamun alayha is given a different variation of this, this verb. إِنِّي أُعِيذُهَا بِكَ وَذُرِّيَتَهَا مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Right? So, there are different variations of this word. But adha by itself means to cling to someone for protection. To hold on to someone and not let go of them out of out of the fear of something dangerous that is unseen. And that word is really important. Dangers that are unseen. If you want protection from a, an enemy that is attacking you, the word is ijara, To give protection to someone against an enemy. And we use that word from, against fears that are physical and that are seen. But unseen elements, jealousy, sorcery, shaitan, these kinds of things, isti'adha. This is why we find, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ this is the word used for seeking protection against an enemy that cannot be seen. And it also, again, it has the meaning of clinging on to someone and not letting go of them. Ma'ad comes from the same root. It's, a, it's an ism, uh, ism, ism dharf, actually, dharf makan. means a place where you find refuge. A place where you find refuge. That word was used by Yusuf alayhi salam. Qala ma'ad Allah. When he sought refuge with Allah, he's finding, he wants to be in a place where he can find refuge from the waswasa of shaitan and this woman. So he, he says, Allah. Anyhow, the word a'udhu is used. So we are directly, now common translations say, I seek refuge. I have a slight disagreement with this translation. Because if you say a'udhu means I seek refuge, then how do you translate asta'idhu? 
Asta'izu, isti'adha in Arabic is to seek. Istifal, that pattern in Arabic, gives the meaning of seeking and wanting. I want refuge, I seek refuge. And even the son al-Arab says, the difference between isti'adha and adha, and a'udhu here, is that adha is I am entering into the refuge. I'm giving myself up and entering into this fort. I don't just want it, I'm giving myself into it. It's an act of submission when you say a'udhu. And it's an act of submission. You, you say, I, am, I have no power to protect myself. I'm giving myself up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's one thing to say, I want to do that. I seek to do that. It's another to declare, I am doing it. I'm giving myself up before Allah for protection. I cannot even do it myself. You understand? So Allah says, فَاسْتَعِذْ بِاللَّهِ But we say, نَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْءِ We give ourselves in. We, we are entering into the protection of Allah Azza wa Jal. Now, the word Rabb and its importance. This ties into what, uh, I actually, I, I, I want to bring that up at the end with, with Qul. So I'll go to Falaq first and then bring it all together, inshaAllah ta'ala. The word Falaq in Arabic, Falaqa, it literally means to rip open something. And to tear something open where something else comes out. Like if you tear a pillow open and the fluff comes out of it, that would be Falaq. Okay? Falaq is used for the morning because the, the, the rays of the morning tear, open through, tear through the darkness and morning comes out. That's why it's called falaq. The, the morning, day, in English you could say daybreak, right? It cracks and rips through the darkness. But falaq is also used when, for example, a seed, a seed slowly rips open and a plant comes out. Allah says, فَالِقُلْ hab, same root, فَالِقُلْ hab, The one who tears open the seed. When nawa, and you know the, 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 the seed of a date, right? It's, it's called nawa. And when that tears open and then the tree starts coming out of that, Similarly, the, you know, the one who brings the morning up, isbah is used in the Qur'an. But the word falaq, I said, is one of the words that will tie this subject together to the previous. All of creation, in, in, in linguistic analysis, Taj al-Arus, Lisan al-Arab, other lexicons of Arabic say, the word falaq includes the meaning of khalq. That which is created. Because everything that is created is a result of something tearing open. Something tearing open. مَا يَخْرُجُ مِنْ أَصْلٍ كَالْعُيُونَ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ What comes out from, it, from something else, for example, springs out of the mountain. That's falaq also. They're tearing out, water comes out. وَالْأَمْطَارِ مِنَ السَّحَابِ And rain ripping out of the clouds. It tears through the cloud and comes down. That's also part of falaq. وَالنَّبَاتِ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ And plants ripping out of the ground, tearing the ground open and coming out. نَبَاتِ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ مِنَ الْأَرْحَامِ and children that come out of the womb of the mother. All acts of creation are a kind of tearing open. Some have even, some more recent scholars have looked at this ayah and said, this is maybe Allah Azza wa even alluding to the origin of creation. You know, that, you know, the big bang, it tore open, you know, that, that theory. So they made, I don't, I'm not a science guy, so I can't make that correlation. But I can tell you I've read about it, and I am not qualified to say yea or nay. But I can say that this is some, some scholars have made such a correlation. Wallahu ta'ala alam. So now, it's referring to the morning, it's referring to everything that has been created which tears open, including our own creation, including if you for example look at microscopic creatures that rip, they tear apart like amoeba and they split, right? This kind of tearing open happens in plants, in, in microscopic creatures, even in human beings and animals, even in the sky, the night tears open, the, the day tears the sky, you know, and the night is torn open. Now this word is used, if you want to look at it from a literary point of view, you would have to say Allah is saying that He is the master of birth. 
the creation of the act of birth. He owns it. He's the master of it. Because this tearing open, is, it symbolizes what? The birth of the morning. The birth of a child. The birth of a plant. The birth of rain from the sky, from the cloud. Now, if you look at the previous surah, what claim did Allah Azza wa make? Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Was there reference to birth? He doesn't give, and he is not born himself. He's not born himself. Rather, he owns the creation of birth. He owns it. He's not limited by it because he's the master of it. He's beyond it. So this is the first, it's a continuity of that first subject. Now everything in this first ayah ties back to Surah Al-Ikhlas in interesting ways. You know the word As-Samad? As-Samad? We talked about it in detail last week, but I'll give you a gist of it. As-Samad is someone who everyone is in need of and who needs no one. He needs no one, everyone is in need of him. That is As-Samad. Samada ilayhi in Arabic grammar, when you turn to someone in desperation, in full need of them. Now, in this surah, are we turning to Allah in desperation? Are we turning to Allah for something? A need we cannot fulfill ourselves, so we're asking His protection. SubhanAllah, this is a practical manifestation of what it means to say Allah samad. When Allah says He is a samad, in theory, okay, He's free of need and we all need Him. But now show that need by saying, أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ It's the practical manifestation of a samad. So that seed, that plant, that lesson that was installed in Surah Al-Ikhlas is now giving us its practical fruits in these two surahs that are coming, Al-Falaq and Al-Nas. Then there are other implications of Al-Falaq that the ulama talk about, very beautiful things. Was, uh, you know, this surah is about being put in psychological or social difficulty. You know, night is a time of fear. Jealousy, you're worried somebody might harm you. Magic is someone, something that's putting you under depression and difficulty. You're, so you're constricted, this deep. And by Allah saying falaq, using the word falaq, which is basically ripping through, tearing through whatever problems you have, it is, it is as though Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying, وَسِعَ بَعْضَ الضِّيقِ It's like having openness and relaxation after you were constricted and tight. It was like you were imprisoned, and when Allah said, you call on Allah as the master of the one who tears things open. Who tear, he tore open your, your constriction and gave you relaxation and expanded things for you, subhanAllah. Also, مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى nur. The entire theme of the surah actually is darkness. If you look at the surah from the very beginning, شَرْ Evil. You know, in, most, in almost every literature in the world, evil is associated with darkness. For example, if somebody says he has evil intentions, in many literatures you can say he has dark intentions. He has a dark mind. That was a dark, you know, a, a, he has a, a dark personality. It's darkness is associated with evil. In virtually every literature in the world. And that is true in Arabic also. So just by using the word shar, the surah has a dark tinge to it. Then, bin literally mention of night. Also darkness. Then another kind of darkness. Magic, isn't that a darkness of shirk? You know, uh, all forms of shirk, one of the words used for them in the Quran, one of the words for tawheed is nur. In the Quran, one of the words for tawheed, for oneness of Allah is nur. And a word for all kinds of shirk is the opposite of nur, dhulumat. يُخْرِجُهُمْ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى nur. So when these people do magic, what act are they engaged in? A dark act. Again, something dark, something evil. Then after that again, min sharri hasidin. Hasad is a dark emotion. It's a vulma. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a darkness. And you have to come out of it. So all of the, the entire surah has this imagery of darkness. 
And Allah begins the surah by ripping, tearing through the darkness and bringing light with what word? Al-Falaq. So there's this contrast between light and darkness. So you call on the Lord that creates the, di- the, the brightness of the day to remove all these elements of darkness that may be afflicting you. It's a really beautiful contrast that is presented in this surah. Then the final comment about this, I told you, you know, this, this contrast between light and darkness. The word in Arabic for, I, I told you another word for tawheed is what? Nur. And one of the most interesting places for that in the Quran is Allah says about Himself, Allahu nurus samawati wal ard. A reference even to Himself. But then in the contrast, what's the, what's the darkest thing you could do? If tawheed is light, then what's the darkest thing you could do is shirk. So Allah says now, and by the way, the word for darkness is what? Vulma. Shade or darkness, vulma. Listen to the words of Luqman recorded in Surah Luqman. Inna shirka la vulmun Shirk. And I know shirk is, vulm is translated as an injustice, but the root origin is darkness. It's a greatly, it's a deep darkness. It's a great, it's a great loss of light. What is darkness but not a loss of light? It's a loss, it's a, it's a lack of tawheed, subhanAllah. So that is what, this, this imagery that surrounds this surah is very, very powerful. Then the final comment about the first word, al-falaq. Before we get to qul, and the beauty inside the word qul. Just a, a, an amazing uh, hadith. This is by a sahabi who's originally Farsi, he's Persian, Ibn Marduwayh. عن عقبة بن عامر قال قال لي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. So the messenger says to Uqba bin Amir, he says, uh, he told him, اقرأ, recite, قل أعوذ برب الفلق. Recite, قل أعوذ برب الفلق. And he said, هل تدري ما الفلق? Do you know what falaq is? The messenger asked the sahabi, do you know what falaq is? And he answered him, باب في النار إذا فتحت سعر جهنم. It is a door in the hellfire. When it is opened, the entire hellfire gets ablazed. The flame just gets excited. It's one of the doors in hellfire that tears open and then all hell literally breaks loose. Literally. Another hadith in regards to falaq. هُوَ سِجْنٌ فِي جَهَنَّمْ يُحْبَسُ فِيهِ الْجَبَّارُونَ وَالْمُتَكَبِّرُونَ وَإِنَّ جَهَنَّمَ لَتَتَعَوَّذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْهُ SubhanAllah. This falaq that Allah takes mastery over, this word, the Messenger says it is a prison in Jahannam. It's a prison in hellfire. In it are all the tyrants and arrogant people, and it is so terrible that hellfire itself seeks refuge of Allah from falaq. That's how horrible that place is. But the question is, why place this word falaq? It has all those literary meanings that we talked about, and how it brings relief. But now it seems to me that the word al-falaq is also delivering punishment. The question is punishment for who? This surah is a surah not just dedicated to seeking refuge, but it's a surah dedicated to describing certain kinds of criminals. Certain kinds of criminals who engage in the act of sharr. And in particular, which shurur are mentioned, which ashrar are mentioned, the, the ones that are mentioned are, number one, the, you know, uh, specifically, al-nafathat fil uqad and hasid ila hasad. Ghasiq ila waqab is actually, it's left in the dark what the evil is. It may or may not be, uh, the, the dark night may or may not be evil. The explicit evils mentioned are sorcery and jealousy. And what we're learning is, for people who engage in these acts, and act out on them, then their punishment is al-falaq. Because Allah is the master of al-falaq. So not only is the crime mentioned, but the punishment worthy of that crime is also mentioned in the beginning of this surah. Now we come to the word Qul. You know it's all over the Qur'an, Qul. 
قل يا ايها الكافرون قل هو الله احد قل اعوذ برب الفلق قل يا عبادي الذين اصرفوا على انفسهم you know what's amazing about it it has a different literary rhetorical value in every context there are some things that are common about the word qul but then there are some things that are very particular to a particular context so now we're going to talk about what are the benefits of the word qul in qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq let's listen to some commentary allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yurid min al-insan an yu'lina sarahatan an dhi'fihi bi lisanihi allah azza wa jal intends clearly by saying qul in the beginning of the surah that he wants the human being to announce his weakness with his tongue it's one thing to realize i'm weak it's another to announce it now when you announce your weakness is that an act of arrogance or humility it's an act of humility it's an act of declaring i have no power i am declaring i'm powerless i need your protection now it's possible somebody needs protection but their ego gets in the way and they don't ask they really want it but they don't ask because their ego gets in the way or even when they ask they don't say it out loud can you protect me please they say it like under their under their breath why because they're too embarrassed to say it out loud because when they say it out loud it exposes how weak they are so allah says i want you to expose how weak you are to yourself i want you to get rid of every ounce of arrogance there may be inside you the word qul removes arrogance removes from you istighna so now now listen allah azza wa jal mentions al-i'lan the first reason for this he says الإعلان عن حاجته لربه ضروري من نواحي. Making this announcement of your need before Allah out loud is important for several for several reasons from several perspectives. One of them, أولها فيه قتل للعجب بالنفس. In that declaration, there is the murder of your you being impressed with yourself. It kills your ego when you say before Allah, I'm declaring it. This is that قول. You're saying Allah is commanding you say it out loud. It kills your ego. وَالشُّعُورُ الْكَاذِبِ بِالْإِسْتِغْنَاءِ And your false sense of, you know, I don't need any protection. You're you're getting that false sense of protection out of your system. وَهَذَا مِنْ أَسْبَابِ الْتُغْيَانِ And having that false sense of protection is a kind of shirk and arrogance. Because Allah says, كَلَّا إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَيَطْغَى أَرَّآهُ اسْتَغْنَى the human being thinks he truly rebels. Does he think he doesn't have any needs? So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, declare that you have a need. Declare openly that you have a need. This will ensure your sincerity. Now you'll appreciate one more thing about why this surah is here. What was the previous surah? Ikhlas. Here's a manifestation of ikhlas. The previous surah was teaching you what does it mean to believe in Allah who is Ahad. We had a long discussion about Ahad. And to develop that sincerity before Allah. Now that sincerity manifests in you truly killing and slaughtering your own ego. That is inside the word qul. The second thing inside the word qul is it's a command. So when you comply and you recite, what have you done? You've actively obeyed an order of Allah. You've actively obeyed an order of Allah. And that's why the word Rabb is important because Rabb of all of its meaning, Al-Malik, Wal-Sayyid, Wal-Murabbi, Wal-Mun'im, Wal-Qayyim, essentially the word Rabb necessitates the existence of an authority. You obey him because he is your Rabb. U'budu Rabbakum. You know, enslave yourselves to your master. Now, why is that important? وَالْأَمْرُ الْآخِرْ أَنَّهُ مِنْ أَسْبَابِ الطَّاعَةِ يَعْنِي هَذَا الْإِعْلَانِ مِنْ أَسْبَابِ الطَّاعَةِ لِأَنَّكَ إِذَا اسْتَعَنْتَ بِشَخْصٍ تُطِيعُهُ وَلَا تَعْصِيهِ how can it be that you're asking his help while disobeying him? You can't ask Allah's help. You, don't, you would never ask 
anybody's help while disobeying them and disregarding them at the same time. What we are learning here is if you really want Allah to protect you, what must you be doing first? You must be obeying Him. So the discussion begins with the command of Allah and you, you complying with that command. What that does is it necessitates in you the need to be in obedience to Allah for the protection to actually come before you. You're entering not only into the protection of Allah, but also into the obedience of Allah. And now listen to these words of Musa salam who explains this concept. The concept of someone who kills their ego by seeking Allah's refuge. That's what we try to do, right? We try to connect two things. Seeking refuge means you're killing your ego. How is this explained by Musa salam? وَقَالَ مُوسَى إِنِّي عُثْتُ بِرَبِّي Musa says, I no doubt about it, I seek refuge with my master. And I seek uh, uh, refuge from my master and yours from every single one possessed with arrogance. The ayah connects two things together seeking refuge and what? Arrogance. And then he says, The one who does not believe in the day of being accounted for, the day of audit. The day of having to stand and present your case. Subhanallah. In other words, that surah also tells us arrogance, or, or this arrogance of not seeking refuge. When will that happen? When someone's iman in the final day is weak. This surah delivers punishments in the next life with the word falaq. Against the arrogant who do what? Sorcery and jealousy. Sorcery and they, see, they refuse to seek refuge. May Allah make us of those who truly genuinely enter the refuge and seek it sincerely. Then the word sharf. So we have قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ We begin, say, I seek refuge in the master of Al-Falaq. By the way, قُلْ referring directly to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, but by extension all of us. It's a remedy for him and through him it becomes a remedy for all of us. So the word شَرْ You know there are three words in Arabic in the Qur'an that are used for bad. Bad. There's the word شَرْ There's the verbal form بِئْسَ بِئْسَ and there's the word sa'a. And there are variations of each. So sayi'a comes from sa'a and you know, usually used as a, as a in sentence form. And then of course shar. But what's the difference between them? First of all, from a vocabulary point of view, they have different antonyms. Shar is the opposite of khair. Shar is the opposite of khair. And I'll define that one in detail last. Let's talk a little bit about bi'sa. Bi'sa is actually when you you feel something is deplorable and detestable and terrible, then you'll call it bi'sa. For example, you drink something and you say, Oh my God, it's a terrible drink. Bi'sa sharab. That would be bi'sa sharab. But if you drink something and you say, Wow, this is awesome, you'll say ni'ma sharab. So the opposite of bi'sa is ni'ma. Ni'ma. And it's used as an expression of either being extremely impressed with something, ni'ma, or extremely disgusted by something with bi'sa. That leaves the word sa'a. Sa'a. And the word sa'a refers to something not just being evil but ugly. Ugly. And its opposite is hasuna. Sa'at masira. Hasuna ulaika rafiqa. Sa'a actually means deformed, you know, uh, disfigured, hideous. So the actions that are hideous and ugly in and of themselves are called sayyat. The action itself is ugly. It's not even beautiful of an act. You know, a sayyat, for example, can be, um, you know, you're, you're uh, doing riba. It's an ugly act. It's just ugly through and through. It's hideous. It's an ugly thing to do. So it's called a sayyah. But now let's turn to the word shar. Shar is something that is universally and unanimously understood as harmful or evil. Specifically, shar makes reference to that which will cause someone harm. Shar, that which will cause someone harm. Sharara in Arabic is the spark of a flame that can burn you. 
Like it can come out of a fire. Like you know those little sparks come out sometimes. And they can land on your skin and burn you. That's shalara. Literally shar, that which causes somebody harm. Now, the ayah is profound in declaring min sharri ma khalaq. You're seeking refuge of the master of al-falaq, the lord of al-falaq, from what? From the evil, shar, and the word shar will come several times, but the first shar, ma khalaqa. The shar of what he created. The shar of what he created. Now there are several rhetorical lessons here. The first of them, he didn't say min sharri al-makhluq. Min sharri kulli makhluq. From the, from the, you know, I seek refuge from the evil of all creation or everything that's been created. He said, ma khalaqa, what he subhanahu wa ta'ala created. Why is that important? Because whatever harm the creation can cause you, know that the one who created it has more power. He can save you from that harm because he's the one in the end who created it. So his reference, him getting credit for the, being the creator gives him power over whatever harm the creation may be able to cause. The second is shar is not attributed to Allah. Shar is attributed to khalq. And ulama talk about this in depth and it becomes a philosophical issue, but I'll give you the gist of it. We'll keep it really simple. The bottom line in Islamic studies when it comes to the concept of shar is that evil is not actually an entity in and of itself. It is only considered the lack of good. Just like darkness, you know the imagery of tawheed and shirk, darkness and light? Darkness actually doesn't exist. What actually exists? Light. When you don't have light, what do you have? Darkness. So darkness in and of itself isn't an actual entity. It's, it's goodness that's the entity. And a lack of goodness is what's, what darkness is. So evil in the end is what? A lack of good. But this ayah has profound lessons in it because Allah left the language open and universal. Min sharri ma khalaq. He didn't reduce it to shayateen. The evil in the next surah is sharril waswas al khannas, a very specific creation. But when you say ma khalaqa, whatever he created, from the harm of whatever he created, we learn from this that there is no creation on the face of this earth. No creation on the face of the, that doesn't come without a flaw. The only one free of flaw is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything else will have something missing. Something will be missing. Some element of shar is possible from everything. Think of the most amazing creations of Allah like the sun. So many benefits from the sun. Are there harms from the sun too? So many benefits from water. Is there harm in water also? So many benefits in the earth. Are there harms in the earth too? So many benefits of the sky. Are there harms that come from the sky also? Everything Allah has created has an element. It can have harm in it. It can have harm in it. So we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to protect us from the potential harmful elements of everything. Things that are, not, that are beyond our perception. You know, a car, very beneficial, can it be harmful? Can you die in an accident? Can you, get in, you, know, can you put yourself in great difficulty? Yeah, it's possible. So all creations have that element of harm, potential harm in them. And so we ask Allah Azza wa Jal His protection from all of them. Min sharri ma khalaq. Now, it's getting more specific. We, I mentioned this before in the beginning of the surah. We're going from general to more specific. So the next specific area of evil or harm. Min sharri ghasiqin. Ghasaq. In Arabic literature, ghasaq is considered awwalul layl. Awwalul layl. The first part of the night. In other words, when the blue of the sky is gone and it's all black now. That's ghasaq. Allah Azza wa Jal says, Aqimis salata li shamsi ila ghasaqil layl. Right? The setting of the sun. That's one time. Then it gets deep into the night. That's ghasaqil layl. Now, the word ghasiq also, it's used in literature for that which sinks or that which disappears. 
In that sense, in Arabic literature, we, we find the word ghasiq being used for the sun and even for the moon. In a hadith actually, the Prophet used it for the moon. In Arabic literature, you find for example, يَعُودُ إِلَى الْبَيْتِ مَعَ الْغَسَقِ Which means, أَيْ مَعَ بِدَايَةِ ظُلْمَةِ اللَّيْلِ he went home at the time of ghasak, which means when, the, when it started really getting dark. Ghasak al-qamar. When the, you know when there's a lunar eclipse? It's called ghasak al-qamar. Adlama sa'atul khusuf. Ghasakat aynuhu. And the eyes became dark with tears. When you, when you cry too much and your eyes just become overshadowed, there's bags of black around you. Right? That expression in Arabic is ghasakat. Ghasakat aynuhu. Ghasakat al-sama'a. When the sky becomes really dark with clouds, it's daytime but it feels like it's nighttime, and it's really heavy rain is coming, that's called ghasakat sama So these expressions, what is it telling you? Allah is referring to a time of night when it's completely and absolutely dark. But He goes a step further and says, إِذَا waqaba. For first of all, Allah is saying, He didn't say, مِنَ الْغَاسِقِ إِذَا وَقَبَ مِنْ شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ From the evil of the dark. In other words, Allah is letting us know that there are harms that are inherently present in the dark. The Messenger of Allah would advise the Sahaba not to go out at night. In some narrations, he'd say, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't go out at night. The shayateen meet in the oceans at night. They come out at night. And you know, in our society, when is it time to act like the devil? Right? It's Friday night, Saturday night. And you, if you don't believe that there are harms that come, up, come at night, watch the documentaries that have been done about the ERs across America. You know when they are filled? Friday and Saturday night. They're filled. Car accidents, people killing each other after a couple of beers, drugs, alcohol, you name it. You name it. All of it, all that evil occurs when? At night. At night, subhanAllah. There's something evil, the, pot the potential of evil is far superior in the night. And of course, this is why it's more dangerous to travel at night. You wouldn't go out late at night. You wouldn't even let your kids go take out the garbage in the middle at 2 a.m. You say, no, do it in the morning. It's in, it's in human nature. You don't want to go out at night. And so we ask Allah, something that's inherent in human nature, we ask Allah, protect us from that dark evil. إِذَا waqaba. Now waqab, what's the, what's the word waqab? Because you know, in, in Lugha, waqab is also a reference to darkness. So it's kind of like saying from the evil of the dark night when it gets dark. But it's already dark. So what's this getting dark over again? And why a different word for it? The word waqab, like waqab al-dhalam, so dark that things become invisible. Waqab is actually used when something enters into, you know, there's a, there's a ditch inside a mountain at night, and something goes into that ditch. And you can't see it anymore. That's actually called waqaba. In other words, we're saying there are things hiding in the dark that we cannot see. This includes the shayateen. And I told you, a'udhu, isti'adha, i'adha in Arabic, a'udh, is you, or, or i'adh, is used for seeking protection from things you cannot see. So the ayah is using relevant language by saying, we're seeking refuge from the dark night, especially when it hides things inside it. When there are things lurking in the dark that we cannot see. But specifically, one area that I wanted to bring to your attention is that ghasaq is, is used for the moon. For the moon. And you know, the moon, it's some, some interesting studies done recently, and this was done in, it used to be considered folk, folklore before, but now there are actual studies about it. You know what happens in the full moon in the oceans, right? There are, there's high tide, and there's this, you know, the oceans become violent. Well, the human body also has fluids inside it. Do you, do you think the magnetic pull of the full moon has any effect on the human being? There are actual studies done on this, you know that? There are people that tend to become more violent. 
You know that whole genre of uh, mythical literature about werewolves and things like that? It's a, fa it's a fantasized you know, hyperbole of actual scientific phenomena where people experience psychological changes and aggravation during certain cycles of the moon. This is actually documented physics, like, like physiological behavior, subhanAllah. And that's actually where the English word lunatic comes from. You know lunatic, like crazy lunatic? It comes from lunar. Lunar, because this is, this, this is even traditionally this was understood that at certain times there are certain behaviors that, are, that become acceptable, unacceptable at nighttime. So people would stay at home and things like that. SubhanAllah. So you have this, you know, we're asking protection from these kinds of things that we do not have the ability to, to infer for ourselves and Allah Azza wa teaches us about them. So now after min sharri ghasib, by the way, I want a side comment about the guys, just the guys. We hang out at night a lot. We go out late a lot. We, we up until two, three in the morning a lot. We gotta quit it. You can't be reciting this and then hanging out late at night. It doesn't work. Because you're on the one hand you're saying, yeah man, it's a lot of time. And you go, you know, in the back of the restaurant at two a.m. and you're reciting when the full moon is out. <laughs> it's a little, little contradictory. So yeah, I know it hurts. It, it's close. I hang out at night sometimes too. But we have to curb that behavior. We have to get rid of it. Because it's, it's really not something acceptable. Plus, there are other harms of hanging out late at night. You know the kinds of people you'll see at restaurants at night. You know the kinds of people that are out at night. Plus, how, how wonderful your fajr is going to be. Even, if you, even if, if you do wake up, how awesome is it going to be? When you're standing there like tipping over even if you're not drunk. Right? So we have, there, there are harms in the night and we ask Allah's refuge for them. Allah has taught us to protect ourselves from those things. So we should take precaution ourselves. I know it hits close to home, but we should take these things into consideration. After all, this is guidance for ourselves. وَمِن شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ This is specifically the context that I mentioned to you in the beginning. Allah called out, though نَفَّاثَات is a feminine plural. This is a feminine plural. And it's, you could say in modern Arabic, this would mean the women who blow on knots. And that's how many modern translations have actually translated it too. Nafathat, women who blow on knots. And they've attributed it to, oh, perhaps because you know how we, we said uh, his daughters were engaged in magic? He got his daughters to blow on knots. So that's what it's referring to. But nafathat could be an adjective of nufus or anfus, people. The word nafs in Arabic is considered feminine. And its adjectives are considered feminine too. Now the word nafathat and also could be referred to groups. Because a lot of times this kind of sorcery and dark magic and things like that, these are like underground kinds of societies. They don't do it on their own. They, they get together and do their hamana hamana or whatever they do, right? But they do it in groups. And groups can be jam'u qilla, jam'u salim also. So it could be groups of that, that you know, blow onto nuts. The word nafathat actually means to blow with a little bit of spit coming out. To blow really hard out of your mouth, nafakha. Like, فَإِذَا نُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ نَفْخَةٌ وَاحِدًا Right? So that's نَفَخَ When roots are close in Arabic, the meanings are close. نَفَسَ This is ثَ ثَ, the three dots. But if you say نَفَسَ with a seen, that actually means breath also. تَنَفَّس To take a breath. حَيَاتُكَ أَنْفَاسْ The poet says. Your life is just a set of breaths. You're gonna take in and out and eventually it'll be done. So نَفَسَ نَفَخَ And نَفَثَ here. نَفَثَت Nafathat, the ones who blow over and over and over again, engaging in the act of trying to, to, to produce this magic fil uqad into knots. 
So this is, uh, we, we talked about that in detail, so we'll come to the, the end part of it. وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حسد. Here you have to appreciate something. You know, there's the problem and there's the root of the problem. The first part of the surah dealt with problems. This last ayah takes you to the root of the problem. Why would someone do magic against someone? Why would someone cast a spell against someone? Why would someone want to harm someone else? What's the root of it? Jealousy. They want what they have. Jealousy. They don't want them to succeed. They want them to fail. Jealousy. So the root of it is mentioned at the end. وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حسد. From, and from the evil of anyone who engages in the act of hasad. And hasad is of two kinds. There's a good kind that the Prophet described. We'll go to it at the end of today's dars. And there's of course the bad kind, the vast majority of hasad. You can't see someone getting popular. You can't see someone getting a promotion. You can't, you, you work at a gas station or you work as a janitor. And the guy, the other guy that works as a janitor with you, he got the metal broom and you only have the plastic one. And you're like, I'm gonna get this guy fired. It could be something pathetic like that. And it could be hasad, right? It could be something silly, just absolutely silly. And you know where we have to be really careful of hasad? When we raise our children. Be really careful. Because kids get jealous of each other so easily. So easily. This is something we beg Allah to protect us from, and it's becoming so natural for our children to be jealous. Jealous. You know, you, you take your kids out for like uh, ice cream, you say, okay, we're only gonna get one ice cream. Everybody gets a little bit. No, her bite was bigger than mine. Uh, jealousy. These are small things. But if they're, if they're developing now, they're only gonna get worse later on. When it comes to matters of inheritance, when it comes to matters of this, that, and the other, you know, helping family members, this kind of thing, jealousy manifests. I know this is talking about the jealous against the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which is why we also, it's important that we talk about the enemies of Islam that are jealous of Muslims. That's important. But closer to home, where does jealousy strike the Muslims? Inside the house, within the families, within the families. Within Muslims. I was so ashamed. Wallahi, I w it hurt me so much when I heard this. There was, a, there was a, uh, an orientation with the uh, FBI at one of the masajid. And they were talking about the kinds of calls they get about, you know, uh, nowadays whatever's going on and things like that. And they're trying to make better com you know, communication with the Muslim community. And you know what they say? We get a lot of calls from Muslims about who's a terrorist. We get maybe a hundred calls in virtually every city about who's a terrorist. And I said, so, so what do you do with those calls? They said, well, the first thing we do is we check the one who called, is he in-laws with the other guy? Or is he in business with him? Or are they competing businesses across the street from each other? Because 99% of the time, that's the case. Jealousy. Subhanallah. <laughs> this is the state of the Muslims. This is a real evil. And this evil can lead to some serious problems. Now, there's one thing to feel jealousy inside. There's another to act it out, to do something about it. You know, somebody could feel jealous and say, ah, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything about it. I feel it, but I'm not going to do anything. Allah says, if you actually have hasad inside you, it is inevitable you will end up doing something bad. He didn't say, وَمِن شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِنْ حَسَدًا From the evil of the one who is jealous, if he acts it out, if he acts out his jealousy, he said, إِذَا hasada When he acts out his jealousy. What's the difference between if and when? If, it may or may not happen. What does when mean? It's gonna happen. If you have, if there's a person that has hasad, it'll manifest in one way or another. Whether it be the evil eye, whether it, you know, and, and al-aynu haq. 
It occurred even in the Prophet's time, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And the, this, this, the evil eye, the effect of it is even mentioned in the Quran. وَإِن يَكَادُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَيُزْلِقُونَكَ بِأَبْصَارِهِمْ لَمَّا سَمِعُوا الذِّكْرِ These people would stare the Prophet down almost as though they would make you fall and slip. The power of the evil eye. Subhanallah. You know, and then they'd say, وَيَقُولُونَ إِنَّهُ لَمَجْنُونَ So this, this is serious stuff, this, this jealousy business. And we have to seek refuge from it. Now, إِذَا hasada, It seems like repetition. If you look at a common transition from the evil of the, of the jealous one, when he is jealous. That's actually not what it is. When he acts out as jealous. Hasid is an ism, which means a dormant quality. Ism fa'il is a dormant quality. But when you say hasada, it's, an, it's a fi'l, it's an act, which is manifesting itself. It's actually taking place. So this is going from um, that which may exist in a dormant fashion to that which is actually manifest, it's actually taking place. So we're asking for the, the protection from the one who hides and has that jealousy and does things. And putting this surah in the context of the dark, we learn something else. The one who is jealous of you will never harm you in front of your face. They'll hide behind shadows and do it. They'll go behind your back and do it. They will do it in ways that you will not be able to, to tell by yourself. You, you won't be able to recognize it when it's happening. It's in the unseen from you. You don't know who's jealous from you. You don't know. There could be someone sitting next to you who's jealous of you, who means you harm. And you don't even know. Again, this becomes a harm that is unseen to you, which is why a'udhu is perfect in the beginning. A harm that is unseen. Hasid is also a harm that is unseen. Now, I want to conclude inshaAllah ta'ala. Hope, I don't think I'll be able to conclude before salah, but at least I want to give you... Um, one, uh, maybe I'll leave that parallel till the end. I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about two points of balagha, two points of eloquence that I found really beautiful and interesting. Min sharri ma khalaq aam. When Allah said the evil of everything that He created, it is universal. It applies to everything. But then, فَمَا مَعْنَ الْإِسْتِعَاذَ بَعْدَهُ مِنَ الْغَاسِقِ وَالنَّفَّاثَاتِ وَالْحَاسِدِ Then what's the point of mentioning these things? You know, the darkness of the night, the ones who blow on knots, the one who is jealous. Isn't this all part of min sharri ma khalaq? If you say min sharri ma khalaq, it includes all of these things. So what's the point of mentioning all of these? فَالْجَوَابِ تَنْبِيهًا عَلَىٰ أَنَّ هَذِهِ الشُّرُورِ أَعْضَمُ أَنْوَاعِ الشَّرِّ This is Allah making us alert that these specific categories of evil are the greatest ones. So you say to Allah Azza wa I want protection from all kinds of harm, especially the three biggies. The three big ones, which are the night, the potential harms that come from the night, the potential harm of people doing sorcery against you, and the harm of the one who means you harm by, because of their jealousy, what the, the hatred they have inside of their heart. These three are the big ones. So you have to ask Allah Azza wa to protect you from them. There's a great scholar in Islamic history, actually I'll, I'll tell you that about him at the end, after Salah inshaAllah. I'll tell you about uh, Shaykh Muhammad Qasim Nanudwi, one of the founders of Deoband, had a remarkable commentary on this surah, but I'll share with you the, parab the parable he gave to explain to his students what this surah means. But I'll, I'll conclude with this one more comment on the language of the surah. لِمَا عَرَّفَ بَعْضَ الْمُسْتَعَادْ How come Allah put alif lam al on some of the things that we're supposed to seek refuge from and He didn't put on the others? For example, النَّفَّاثَات But مِن شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ There's no al Similarly, وَمِن شَرِّ الْحَاسِدِ or حَاسِدٍ حَاسِدٍ So, النَّفَاثَاتِ has al But everything else is left open So what's the purpose of that? Now, let's see 
First of all, he made nafathat, the ones who blow on knots, he made them proper because every single one of them is evil. There's no exception. If somebody's blowing on knots, they don't mean well. <laughs> that can't be. And he made ghasiq general because not every dark night is necessarily evil. There can be evil in a dark night, but dark night in and of itself is not necessarily evil. وَأَيْضًا لَيْسَ كُلَّ حَاسِدٍ شَرِيرٍ And similarly, yes, he may try to act out his evil, but he may not actually be able to harm someone. So the one who is jealous may or may not actually end up harming someone. They may or may not be able to do so. But نَفَّثَاتَ are definitely going to try to do so. That's one difference between them. The second difference is in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, which specific problem did this surah deal with? Did it deal with the darkness, the darkness of the night, the jealous, or did it deal with the sorcerer? Of these three, which specific problem is the surah answering? The sorcerer, that is given, it's, it's mu'arraf billam. Alif lam is put on it. It deals with that particular problem. Additionally, it will deal with any problem they may, that may occur in the darkness of the night and may deal with anyone who is jealous after that. So it left that door open and it made it universal. Subhanallah. So there's this difference between the uh, nakira and the ma'rafa. The time for salah is approaching. So we'll take a break at this point and we'll conclude this dars after the sunnah prayers with the, the remarkable commentary of Shaykh Nanodawi. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Wassalamu alaikum.